0: We are going to jump into our Bible study today. We've been working through Genesis on Sunday morning. As, as always, the big question is, what do you leave in and uh, what do you leave out? I realized today there's a lot of information when it comes to this chapter. This is one of those pivotal chapters in the book of, in the book of Genesis and, and, and in the Bible. And, um, so there's a lot of perspectives so i'm going to stick with what we do know share some things that that we should know and uh, but there's a lot more so i maybe to encourage you to to do a little bit more study on On your own. But we've been working, as I say, through Genesis on Sunday morning. We've gone through the life of Abraham. We've gone through the life of Isaac. And we've come to the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob, as you'll recall, if you've been following our story, he's left home about 20 years earlier. And you'll recall that he had deceived his father and his brother. Esau into uh, him getting the, the blessing. Esau, his brother, so angry, he wants to kill him. So Jacob runs for his life and he's gonna head up to his uncle Laban's place. But on the way, heading out, on, as he begins his journey, he encounters the Lord. He becomes, we would say, a believer at that point, And God gives him his promise. So I wanna put the promise on the screen if I can real quick. God said back in Genesis 28, God said, I am with you, Jacob, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back To this land, so that was God's promise. And one of the things that we noticed is that God began to bless everything that Jacob did, and uh, even to the point where he wants to marry one girl, he's tricked. Ultimately, he winds up marrying four, and it's a you know challenging thing. But but God begins to just bless him. We saw that God began to bless him financially as he went. Well, 20 years go by and God comes to him again. And once again, God gives his promise. And God says, God says, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So once again, God has given his promise. I'll be with you. This is what I want you to do. So now Jacob, in our story we saw last week, is heading back to his homeland, but as he goes, he's greatly concerned about his brother Esau. Is, does Esau, after 20 years, still want to kill him? So we're gonna pick it up in chapter 32, verses one and two, and then we'll unpack it as we go. So verse one, it says, now Jacob went on his way, the angels of God, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And when he saw them, uh, he, and Jacob said, when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim, Mahanaim. Now, Mahanaim from the Hebrew is, is just means there in your outline. It means two camps, two camps is what it means. Uh, but more specifically, it means two armies, two armies. So what Jacob sees is two angelic armies there. Now, these armies should boost Jacob's confidence as he's going. We're going to find that they don't, but it's two armies. Now, we, we, we all come from different church backgrounds. So when we think of, of angels, we, we think different things. So uh, the Bible tells us there on your outline in, in Paul's letter to the, the Hebrew believers, he says, are they not all ministering spirits? sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So in the Bible, angels are there to work on our behalf. If you've ever had an experience where you've encountered one working on your behalf, intervening in some ways God sent them, then that's a very, very powerful thing. And, and, And that's what they do. That's what they do. Now, another thing that I love, I love this verse, Jesus is in a conversation in Matthew 18, and he gives a little bit more perspective. Jesus says it like this. Jesus says, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you, this is Jesus, Jesus who is God, I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. So this is a warning. Jesus says, you be careful how you treat God's little ones, because if you're not careful, you may tick off one of, the, one of their angels. That's literally what it means. Is that the coolest thing ever? So, 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 so the idea is be careful because they behold God's face and they're like going, God, can I kill that person? Well, no, no, wait, wait. So we tend in our culture, to see angels as naked little babies flying around. How many of you have ever seen that? Or we see like the, the, one of the things I grew up with, the, the kids crossing the river and, it's, and there's like this lady angel and she's standing like this over. And, and so they're kind of there, but they're not really doing anything. But I personally like the Bible rendition much, much better. So guys, you're gonna love this. Ladies, you might not love this so much, but in the Bible, one of my favorites, um, in 2 Kings, it says this there in your outline. That very night, the angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrian troops, and dead bodies were seen all across the landscape in the morning. Is that the best verse ever? (laughs) Guys, do you love that? So here's, that's the angel I want guarding my kids, Okay. I want the angel who's a little overreactive, a little impulsive, you know. So the poor kids are out in the front yard. Somebody comes to do damage. That angel goes, Whack, just kills him just like that. And Jesus is like, I didn't say kill him. I just to protect the poor kids. And the angel's like, uh, oh, my bad. <laughs> That's the angel I want. How many of you want that angel watching your kid? Yeah, amen. That's, we all want that. So here, Jacob looks up and he sees these two armies of powerful angels. He has God's promise. He sees God's protection and the angels were there to give him a glimpse of God's protection. Now it's important to know that the angels were always there. They were always there. It's just that God opened up his eyes so that he could see what's going on in the spiritual realm, just to give him some confidence as he goes forward. Well, verse three, it says, then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. He also commanded them saying, thus you shall shall say to, now pay attention to this, my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and have stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. Here, when Jacob is calling Esau his Lord, and he says, your servant, this is not just being polite. What he's Doing is acknowledging. I I I know how powerful you are. Jacob is fearful at this point. If somebody you're calling somebody my lord, it's because you believe that they can take you. So so he, he that's what he's doing. So he's not really trusting God's protection at this point. He says, I have oxen. I've got you know I've got all this stuff. I don't really need anything. I just want to be able to come home. So, verse six it continues and it says the messengers returned to Jacob saying, yeah, we, we came to your brother Esau. And furthermore, he's, he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. And that's all the details you get. So Jacob is like, well, could you, could you give me a little bit more? Is it, is this is this a welcoming party or is this a war party? What, what are we dealing with here? So Jacob, as he thinks through this, realizes that you don't bring 400 people to a picnic. So he, he, obviously he thinks this is a war party. So he's terrified. So verse seven, it says, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now keep in mind, he's got God's promise. He's got he's seen the angels, he was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. Remember that he saw two companies of angels. Here in fear, he's dividing his people into two companies. Verse eight, for he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then one company which is left will escape. So there in your outline, as our story unfolds, you want to write down Although Jacob has God's promise and has seen God's protection, he now responds in fear. And uh, you can write fear or you can write panic because both of them fit. You and I look on and we say, come on, Jacob, you've got God's promise. You've seen the angels. You know, you're going to be the father of the the nation, Israel. You know, you should have a little bit more, more confidence here. Now, for those of you who know, the story and how this story goes, does Jacob have any reason at all to be afraid? No, the answer is no. If you know that, the answer is no, no. I'm going to put it on the screen. The answer is no. So so, but, but he panics. He, he has God's protection, the angels. He has the promise, but, but, but he panics. Now, before we bash Jacob, how many times have you and I, as believers, with God's promise, we've seen God's intervention in our lives, but once again, we face a situation and we immediately go to panic. Absolutely. We've we've all done that. We've all done that. So what is he going to do? Well, verse eight, it says, for he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So you want to write down that Jacob will try to solve it with human reasoning. He's going to try to fix this. He's forgetting God's promise. He's forgetting the angels that he's seen. And now he's going to try to fix it. So Jacob is the type of person who panics first. And then as a last resort, he will then go to prayer. Prayer is not mentioned all that much in Jacob's story. This is, uh, but he's going to pray. And this is the longest recorded prayer in the book of Genesis. So because of that, I would suggest that God wanted us to see this, to learn some things from it. And so we, we, wanna, we wanna make sure that we see what, what it is that God wants to say. But also, up to this point in Jacob's life, God has always been the one who's initiating contact with Jacob. This is the first time where Jacob will reach out to God through prayer. Every other time, it's been God reaching out to him. So this prayer that Jacob is going to pray is going to be a prayer of desperation. It's not going to be a prayer of faith. So we're going to pick it up in verse nine. And it says, Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of... My father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. And he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. I've underlined the mothers with the children. For you said, speaking to God, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So we read that prayer. And again, that's the longest prayer in the book of Genesis. There's a few things that I, I, I think that we, we should at least glean from. First of all, um, this is not on your outline But what we find is that Jacob is going to be very specific as to the God that he is praying to. So, verse 9, he says, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me. Uh, Remember that Jacob has just spent 20 years in a family and in a culture that is completely pagan so pagan that his wife steals her father's gods uh, as, as they head back. So he wants to make sure that he's praying to the right God. So he defines that. So that's the first thing. Then we notice, and this you do want to write down, he's going to approach God with humility. And it says there in verse 10, he says, I'm unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you've shown to your servant. For with my staff only, I crossed this Jordan and now I become two companies. So he says, I I realize the truth about me. I'm I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, and you've blessed me, and it's not because of my greatness. That's a good opening as he begins to pray. Then, hand in hand with that, you want to write down: before Jacob tells God his needs, he tells God his thanks. He says, All I had was a staff. And and look what you've done in my life in the past 20 years. You blessed me so much. Now Also, we notice that he doesn't come in his prayer with a list of all that God should do. He comes with a list of what God has already done. He says, this is what you've done in my life. And uh, it's okay to come to God with a list that you want God to do, but you always want to begin with a list of what God has done for you. We call that praise. There on your outline, there's a verse. And um, I want you to underline one word in this verse. It says, let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Underline the word, then, then. Shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. One of the things that you find throughout the Bible is that God moves through praise, where you begin to thank God for the things that he's done, for the, just the way that he's blessed us. And, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a church context where we really talked about that all that much. The guy who taught me about praising God said it was, for him, he learned it this way. He'd been a missionary and had come back and was going through a very difficult time. And he says, I, I don't know what to praise God for in my life. I just, you know, it's, things aren't really going well. I don't know what to praise God for. So he walks in his kitchen and he sees a sink and he goes, Lord, thank you that I have a sink in my house. Thank you that I just turn that little knob and water comes out just like that. Because I know that in much of the world, they don't have that. And then he walked to his bathroom and he said, Lord, thank you that I have a toilet inside my house. I'm not going to tell the rest of what he said about that, but the thing is much of the world doesn't have that. Then he walked into his kitchen and he opened up the refrigerator. He said, Lord, look at this in my refrigerator is food. Much of the world doesn't have that. Not only that, but it's in a refrigerator. Much of the world doesn't have that. And he began thanking God for all the things that God had given. And uh, you and I have a lot to be thankful for, even in difficult times. I want to encourage you. And what he shared with me was that as he began to thank God, the burden in his life began to lift. If you're not doing that, you want to do that. Very important as a believer. Well, Jacob up to this point hasn't been known for giving a lot of thanks to God, but he starts now. Now in verse 11, he says, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers and the children. He says, Lord, I'm, I'm in over my head. I can't fix this situation. I'm afraid of my, my, my brother Esau. I could run, but, I, but what am I gonna do with all these little kids? I can't outrun Esau with these little kids. And he's concerned about his family. Interesting thing about Jacob, and we're gonna talk about this in a minute, but Jacob is known for running. It was 20 years ago that he ran from Esau, his brother. The story last week is he's running from Laban and here, if he could, he'd want to run, but he can't. He realizes that it's, it's, he's too close. His brother is coming. So he needs God to do something. Um, in my notes, I have, sometimes God gives us families so that we can't run. <laughs> do you agree that sometimes God gives, you, God gives you children and maybe for some of us and in marriage is the first time we couldn't just pack up and go somewhere else. And so that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. So he realizes here that God is his only hope. He realizes that he can't change Esau's heart, so he prays, God, save me. But then he prays the promises. Now, verse nine, it says, and you wanna write that down, Praise the promises, verse nine, he says, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my, my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, this is the promise, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. That's the promise. Verse 12. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he begins to pray the promises. Now, we'll see something else in this in a minute, but um, there on your outline, Peter tells us this. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them, them, the promises that God has given to us, that that by them, you might become partakers of the divine nature. The way that you and I become partakers of the divine nature is that we take the promise of God and we choose to believe the promise of God, regardless of what our circumstances say. So that's, he says, that's, that's how you do that. So here he begins to pray the promise, which is good. We'll talk about that. So we don't want to imitate Jacob's fear, but this is a pretty good prayer. Now, you would think that a prayer like this with such good theological sound doctrine and all of that in it would have brought God's peace and God's deliverance right into the situation. So how does God respond to this amazing prayer? And this is a good prayer how does God respond? Well, I want you to notice verse 13, the opening line there. And uh, I've underlined it in my Bible. It says, so he spent the night there. He spent the night there. And, and God doesn't respond to this great prayer. I mean, would you agree it's a great prayer? And, and, but God doesn't respond to it. And here's why. And you want to write this down. Notice that God says nothing. Because faith is going forward Based upon what God said or has said, not on what God is saying. You see, God had already said, Go forward and I will be with you. He's not believing God's promise, and so now he's crying out. At this point, he should be saying, Lord, you have said, and because you have said, I'm going forward. I'm going forward. Well, he's not declaring at this point. Now he's he's going to, but but, but not just yet. So in fear, because God has not responded and he's not acting on what it is that God says, notice that he's going, well, just see how he handles it. He's going to try to pacify his brother. Verse 13. So he spent the night there. Then God doesn't say anything. Then he selected from what he had with him, a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts. So, so mama camel and baby camel, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And he delivered them to the hand of his servant, every drove by itself. There's like nine droves here. And he said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves. And he commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? And whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to, once again, your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. This is not faith, this is pacification. And behold, he is also behind us. Verse 19, then he commanded also the second, and the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, after this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, behold, your servant Jacob is also behind us. And he said, I will appease him, again, not faith, with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the idea is that Jacob sends the gift, which is to be given just in case God doesn't show up. So here's his plan He's going to send, and when you do the math, it's 580 animals. In a time where a donkey would have made you well to do, uh, he sends this would be like multi millions of dollars worth of gift. Whoever would receive this would be immediately wealthy. But what we're going to find, and you want to write this down, is lack of trust will lead to great loss, great loss. Did Jacob need to send all those animals to Esau? He doesn't need to, but he's going to do that. Now, what we're going to find, and many times we do the same thing, we try to figure it out with human reasoning, we act, and uh, God doesn't condemn Jacob. You know, he's growing, he's not getting it completely right, but God's not going to condemn him. So, but he didn't need to do that, but this was because of his lack of faith. Well, verse 21 The plot thickens and it says, so the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. And he's thinking and he's wrestling, what do I do? What do I do? And uh, verse 22, now he arose that same night and he took his two wives and his two maids and the 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And we'll talk about that. Now, when he took them and sent them across the stream, he sent across whatever he had, whatever he had. So here he is, he, he sends the gift, it's going. He spends the night, but he's wrestling. But at a certain point in the night, he says, we, we've got to go. And so he, he sends his wives and the rest of the stuff across. Now, you want to write this down. Crossing the river is a step of faith. This is a step of faith. He says, if I don't go now, I'm going to talk myself out of it. We've got to move. We've, we've got to go forward. Crossing the river, you want to write down, means no retreat. No retreat. There's no way that once he gets everything across the river, that he's going to be able to get it all back in, 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 in time before Esau gets him. So Jacob, although he has God's promise, struggles with that. He's seen God's protection. Uh, he prays a prayer. God doesn't answer he finally comes to the place where he crosses the line and he says, we have to go. We're going to notice, and you want to write this down, that God shows up when Jacob gets moving. There's no turning back. Now he's acting, even though he doesn't mean to, but he's acting on what God has said. So prayer, no answer, human effort, you know, all, all of that, but here he is, he's crossing the Jabbok. Now the Jabbok is very interesting. Always remember when you read a name and it's in the Old Testament, it begins with a J. There's no J in the Hebrew language, it's always a Y. So it's always the Y sound. So Jabbok there is really pronounced Yabbok. Does everybody see that? Now, the reason that's important is that this word, Yabbok, has two meanings. And those meanings are important to the story. There on your outline, I put that it means a pouring out, and we'll talk about that. And it also means a wrestling. Does everybody see that? So it's a pouring out or a wrestling. Now, another Bible dictionary would say it means an emptying, an emptying. So it means a pouring out, an emptying, and it means a wrestling. Because in this story, there's both a wrestling and there's going to be a pouring out. So Jacob appears to name this river here, Yabok, which means pouring out and wrestling. Hebrew words sometimes have more than one meaning, and we'll talk about that. So verse 24, now Jacob was left alone. He puts the family on the other side, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Grammatically, Jacob does not initiate the wrestling. The man initiates the wrestling the man wrestled with Jacob. So it's not like Jacob sees somebody and jumps the guy. Whoever this is steps in and begins to wrestle with Jacob. And uh, in verse 30, we're going to find that this man is actually Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. It's God appearing in the Old Testament. God will initiate the wrestling with Jacob. Have you ever wrestled with God on something? What you need to know is it wasn't you initiating the wrestling. It was God. And that's what we're going to see here. So this is going to be a significant point, not just in Jacob's life, but in the nation of Israel. So like us, this wrestling takes place, and you want to write this down. The wrestling begins in a time of aloneness. He's alone. Everybody else is going to cross. And it's in darkness. Aloneness in darkness. It's a good time. So it's night. Also, what we're going to find is that this wrestling takes place at the threshold of the promised land, everything that God has for Jacob. So you want to write that down. So let me just very quickly show you a map here. Jacob has come back into the region of Israel. Esau lives down in the bottom in the area called Seir. And uh, there in the middle, you see the Mahanaim, and that's there at the Yabak or Jabak River. And that's where he's going to cross. But once he crosses that, he, he realizes that, you know, he's, he can't get back. So that's where that happens. But this is the threshold to everything that God wants to do in his life. So we'll we'll talk about that now. Now, interesting, it says that he wrestled. Now there on your outline, it says, Jacob was left alone and the man wrestled with him until daybreak. The Hebrew word for wrestling is abak, abak. Abak comes from yabak. That's why yabak means a wrestling. So let's put that out there. So here Jacob is dreading a fight with Esau, his brother, but finds himself in a fight with this man. We're gonna find that this man is literally God in the flesh. Verse 25, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket. The man touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Uh, This is Jesus wrestling with him. And uh, interesting, when his thigh is dislocated, Jacob doesn't stop wrestling with the man. We'll talk about why as we go. Um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that Jesus could have beat Jacob at any time. But, but what I think is going on here, at least in part, if you've ever been box, a boxer or you've ever done martial arts or something like that, And you're with your instructor. Sometimes you'll have to spar with your instructor. You have to fight with your instructor, and they could they could knock you out at any time. But what they do is they hold back a little bit so that you keep coming. And uh, but then at a certain point when they decide that it's time to end it, then they do something, and then you realize it's over because you're laying on the ground looking up. Am I the only person who's ever had this experience? It's it's then you know. So I think part of that is going on, but. What we're going to find in this is is that, first of all, this wrestling match and what takes place here is going to empty Jacob. So there in your outline, this will empty Jacob. The word yabak means to empty, to empty. Now, the first way that this is going to happen is that it's going to empty him of his ability to run, his ability to run. You'll remember that he ran from Esau and he ran from Laban. Uh, Jacob is known for running. It is held that what takes place here is that Jacob crosses a line. He says, we have to go forward. We have to go forward. So the family goes forward and he stays behind. And as he stays behind, he begins to think and begins to wrestle inside. And as he wrestles inside, he comes to the place where he realizes Esau doesn't want to kill his family. Esau wants to kill him. And so Jacob, once again, decides, I need to run. And so he begins to think about that. When he does, this man, we will know him as Jesus in a few moments, enters in and begins to wrestle with Jacob, wrestling with Jacob so that he can't run. At the end of the wrestling, he hits Jacob's thigh so that he can't run. Does that make sense? So think, think that through, but that's, that's uh, very, very possible. So his ability to run. So this is actually gonna be part of the blessing because Jacob, if you keep running, you're never gonna enter into all that God has for you. So another thing that we're gonna find because of this, it's going to empty him of his self-reliance, his self-reliance. At this point, he's gonna have to trust God because he's not gonna be able to fix it himself. But also what we're going to find is God's going to use this to empty him of his old identity, And that'll be important as we go personally and nationally. uh, There's going to be a new identity here. Verse 26. So it says, then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Morning is coming. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob has wrestled all night trying to get away. At a certain point, he realizes who this is. And he realizes most of all, I need your blessing. And now I'm not letting go until you bless me. And so here's the blessing, verse 27. So he said to him, the man says to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, you wanna underline that, for my Bible says you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Now that's that's interesting because he says, you are no longer going to be Jacob. That's your old identity. What does Jacob mean? There in your outline. Jacob, which is Akab, just means that supplants, undermines, or they heal. Uh, Some suggest there's a word play there with the Yabak and all that. So that's certainly a possibility. But that's his old identity, to supplant. You know, he was a deceiver. But now you're going to be Israel. Now, Israel is a very interesting word. Uh, it's actually a compound word in the Hebrew. There on your outline, El is always God, but the way it's pronounced is Yisrael. And again, the compound word there, El is God, but the other word in Israel is the word Sarah, but not Sarah like Abraham's wife. This is not a name, although it's pronounced similar and it's spelled the same, um, but it's not capitalized because it's not a name. But Sarah, there means there in your outline to contend with, to persist, to persevere, or to have power as a prince. So you you have this word. You are now going to be Yisrael, Israel. We would say, and uh, the interesting thing about this is just about everybody defines or translates that word somewhat differently, but they're all true. They're all true. And uh, there on your outline, I have Israel means, and I, I want to just walk through some of these things that it means, and they're all true, and uh, show you why this is important. First of all, when you come to the word Israel, um, one of the ways that it's defined or that it means, and it's true, it just means ruled by God. Ruled by God. That's what it means, which is true with Jacob, and it's true with the nation of Israel ultimately. And hopefully it's, it's true with you and me. We're ruled by God. That would be a good thing. But you can also take that word Israel, Yisrael, and you can also define it to mean, there in your outline, strives with God. Strives with God. Which would be an accurate definition of what the word means. As a matter of fact, my Bible is the New American Standard. And there it takes that verse and it says, you have striven with God. The word striven there is the word sarah because you can translate that word as strive. So some, and that's probably the most common way that that word is used, who strives with God when they talk about Israel. So that, that's true. So Jacob strives with God, later on Israel will strive with God and you and I many times as New Testament believers, we've been in a wrestling with God over some things. So that, that, that's true. Another way that this word can be translated uh, it can also mean a prince with God a prince with God. So if you have the new King James Version or you have the King James Version, it will say it like this there in your outline. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men and has prevailed. So as a prince, he says, you are a prince with God, to the nation of Israel, you're a prince with God, we would look on and say, God is saying to him, do you have any idea how important you are to God? To you and I as New Testament believers with a better covenant than Israel, God would say to us, do you have any idea how important you really are to God? Do you, do you know that there's over 7 billion people on the planet and most of them don't know him? but you do because he made himself known to you and you responded. You're infinitely important to him. In one sense, you could say you're a prince with God or more the bride of Christ. That's a conversation for another day, but infinitely important. Does that make sense? Then another way that you can take this word Israel and you can define it this way. He who prevails with God so if you take Smith's Bible Dictionary or Hitchcock's Bible Dictionary, it says prevails with God. And in that definition, they would say, you prevailed with God. You struggled, but you prevailed with God. And what you got in your prevailing with God is you got God to bless you because you wouldn't give up. We would look on and We would say, yes, you, you persevered. You got God to bless you. But we know that God just gave you what he already wanted to give you but you prevailed with God. How many of you would say you've had an answer to prayer in your life? You prevailed with God. You got what he already wanted to give you. So that's one way. Now, another way that this word is defined is God prevails. God prevails. So when you think of this wrestling match, who really won? Well, God did, didn't he? God did. So Jacob here, when it's called Israel, it means God prevails in the same way that for you and I, when we've prevailed with God, he actually won. And, and, and so that, that works out. So ultimately he prevails, and yet God is really the one who prevails. But my favorite definition is the last one I'm going to share with you. And you can take this word because Sarah means to contend. You can translate the word Israel as God fights. God fights. So the idea is God is saying, in your identity, Jacob, your new name means God fights. What are you worried about? Because I'm the one who's going to fight for you. You don't have anything to worry about as it relates to Esau. So God, God fights is his new name. Do you find that at least interesting? So, so why, why do I share that with you? Because God's work in Jacob his God's work in in Israel, and God's work in you is not something that you can sum up in one definition. Each definition is true, but each definition is incomplete. All of them create a more uh, perfect picture, we might say, of, of what it really means. And so it's it's all of it, not just one of it. So it's, it's much bigger. Well, I hope you found that interesting. I'm fascinated by those things. And if, if you didn't, then Verse 29, then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Now, if you paraphrase that, the man's wrestled with him all night. and, and, And in essence, the man is saying, are you ignorant of who I am? You know who I am. So Jacob gets it. He understands. And so he professes. So Jacob, verse 30, named the place Peniel, for he said, I have, seen the, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Peniel just means the face of God. The person that I wrestled with all night, it's God. I literally looked God in the face and I'm still alive. Interesting also that the wrestling began at night and in the place of aloneness. But in verse 31, it says, Now, the sun rose upon him as he's being blessed, ends in the light, and he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. He's gonna have to go forward trusting God. Verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. So this changed the whole nation of Israel to the point they don't even eat that part of the meat. That's the impact that it had. Well, with that, um, did you find that interesting today? So you you can can clap. (laughs) So let, let me just close by, by saying, do you, do you know the promise that God has given you the promises that he's given you? And you, you, you literally operate in the divine nature when you take his promise and you go forward based upon what he said. Jacob had to learn. I have to go forward based upon what God said. He was so focused in on his circumstances. God has given you incredible promises. If you're going to be a person of faith, you have to do that. Secondly, I would say as we close, some of us are here today and we've been in a wrestling match with God and we know it's God. And we haven't, we haven't yielded. And I, I would wanna say this to you, if you've never invited Jesus into your life as your savior, just know this, he wrestled with Jacob. It was a place of darkness and aloneness. When he was blessed by the Lord, it it meant a new identity. It meant going forward. It meant light, understanding. It meant a whole new way of living. And I want to encourage you today, if you're in that place of wrestling, as we close in prayer, you have the opportunity to end that wrestling by just simply inviting him in. Join me as we pray. Father, as we close today, Lord, for those of us who are here today, we haven't known you, but we're in that place of wrestling and we're recognizing that we're wrestling with you. And interesting, you're the one who initiated the wrestling so that you could bring blessing into our life and change our identity and have us walk forward in the light. So we just look to you today and we say, Lord, we end the wrestling. Jesus, I want you come into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of everything I've ever done. I want that relationship with you. He promises that if you invite him in, he will never leave and you will never regret that decision, and you will go forward in a whole new identity. Make sure you let somebody know today that you've made that decision. Lord, I pray that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.